0: Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Chad Manley is a fellow and lecturer in the School of Landscape Architecture at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Nora Jacobs and Carlos Velasco were two of the eight masters of landscape architecture students in Chad's spring 2023 landscape architecture design studio entitled Dancing in the Dragon's Jaw. A deeply imagined course of study designed by Chad, inviting students on a smoky dance of space making along a continuum of northern and central California landscapes, which will result in an accretive semesters long individual collective physical and digital collage. As a culmination of their learning and creative term, the studio group traveled to California to dance through its communities, meadows, and mountains, meet with firekeepers, land managers, scientists, artists, and designers, situating the journey within both the urgencies and poetic potentials of a land on fire. The studio worked to consider and reimagine an empathetic landscape architecture born of regenerative fire and regenerative, inclusive, and expansive learning and designing mindsets. They learned from books, from other designers, and design history, from their drawing boards, but they also learned on and from the land and people for whom their designs might be of greatest benefit. The design studio visited my partner and my garden in the spring of 2023. Chad, Carlos, and Nora, it is so nice to be in conversation with you all again. Welcome to Cultivating Place.
1: Thanks so much for having us.
0: Thank you.
2: Hi, Jennifer. Thank you.
0: So I have just introduced the three of you in a very brief manner, but I would love to have each of you introduce yourself just a little more personally and maybe include in that, if you will, the role or the importance of plants in your life right now. And I'm going to start with you, Chad.
1: Hi. um, Well, just I guess, first of all, thanks very much, Jennifer, for having us here and inviting us in. i listener of this show and have learned an incredible amount from it. And yeah, no, I'm Chad. I'm a, a teacher, gardener, a lecturer and fellow here at the University of Tennessee. Um, I practice architecture, landscape, um, film, lots of other things. I'm, I suppose too many things, but ultimately I think what plants mean to me is they're the kind of life and breadth of the world. They are what gives us um daily opportunity to exist, whether you know we notice them or not. And I think, you know, a part of my perhaps daily practice is to try to be within a kind of space of recalling them and a space of being with them.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And I'm gonna go to you, Nora. Tell us a little bit along those same lines.
2: Hi, Jennifer. So, my name is Nora Jacobs, and I am from Southern Illinois. I grew up in a really rural community where my family has a farm, and I studied geography during my undergraduate studies. In terms of my relationship to plants, I think that I would say I continue to feel more and more like a child to the natural world, just in the way that there's I feel like increasing mystery and magic that I experience the more that I learn. I love that.
0: Great. Thank you, Nora. And what about you, Carlos?
3: Hello. um, Well, my name is Carlos Velasco. Um, I am a graduate student here at the University of Tennessee, pursuing a master's of landscape architecture. Um, my background is in architecture and I've always been interested in in design and not just from an architectural sense, but just as space making around people. So um, I was born in middle Tennessee here in the States, but I grew up in central Mexico and my family moved around a lot. The situations vary throughout my life. And um, so I was fortunate enough to experience a lot of places and, and people. And that kind of leads into my relationship with plants. They've always been around. My mom is, is really, really a passionate gardener. Um, and, and my father also grew up in in an agricultural town. And so plants have always been more of like a norm for Mm -hmm. me. They've, I've never, um, the idea of ornamental plants wasn't really something that, um, existed in the areas that, like as me growing up, simply because a lot of the plants that I grew up with were herbal, like used for herbal medicine mm-hmm. and such. So to, my relationship with plants is kind of like a reciprocal one that revolves around usability and then providing one for another. So that's that's what really got me interested in in further looking into plants.
0: Great. So Carlos has started us off a little bit with um, my next question, which is to give us a a little bit of a a brief history um, or the highlights of of what inspired you to follow your current course of study. Carlos, if you would like to add anything about that, uh, about the context that brought you to uh, being a student in dancing in the dragon's jaw, go ahead and and add that now. And then I'll move back to you, Nora.
3: Yes, I love to. Um, So I was saying, um, growing up, my family, we moved around a lot and, um, although that might have affected you know educational purposes, moving from school to school, it really opened my eyes as to the difference between how people inhabit space. And I always found that interesting moving to a new place and seeing it with fresh eyes as a child, you move in in like in, in, to a space where the inner in courtyard means more. Mm to that culture than it means to another city that you will move next year. Yeah. And um and seeing how plants and, and just in general people interact with these plants and what kind of plants they look after um really led me to pursue um landscape architecture as, as a form of design. Yeah. Um yeah.
0: I like that. I like that. Nora, what about you?
2: In terms of earliest influences, I would say that growing up So close to the land um, with a family farm was extremely influential because it created this really deep, interwoven relationship where you were growing vegetables, hunting, and fishing. And there was so much inherent respect for what the land provided. And I had always been interested in these natural resources. And I got a degree in geography and kind of ended up on this more scientific, surveying career path that. I enjoyed and learned a lot from but I was interested in more creativity within that and I started the degree in landscape architecture and I will say my mom for so many years um, prior to that was like oh you should think about landscape architecture and I always kind of brushed it off and it turns out she was right <laughs> and I'm so happy I came back to it.
0: <laughs> Moms are sometimes right right yeah Um, great. Okay, so, um, Chad, I'm going to go to move to you, and I would love to have you give us this same kind of context, um, you know, where you were born, and who were the people, and places, and plants that led you to the work you're doing now, and then we'll move into uh, the kind of germination story for the actual class.
1: I think that for me. You know this this kind of um, notion of like what what are plants what do they mean to you came from being immersed in in a certain kind of world and so I grew up um, in Coast Salish territory in Vancouver BC on the west coast mm-hmm. I'm here now in Knoxville teaching but there. There's a kind of sense of nature surrounding you, and even if you don't know the name of it, and you don't know exactly its kind of hult- cultural history or its environmental history, there's a sense of it um, enveloping you and enveloping time and space. But <clears throat> I think for me, um, it really took actually a travel travels rather to the east coast of North America um, for studies at Dalhousie University in. Environmental planning and kind of um, urban planning and ecology specifically to get me thinking about what are what are the stories that plants are actually telling what are the what are the kind of stories that communities of plants are telling what what are their kind of eyes and what can they say if we you know kind of reach down to listen so I, I think I had you know some really kind of formative experiences with professors there who were thinking deeply across time in that respect and respecting cultures that were working with plants and had worked with plants. And I, I suppose I brought that back to both my architectural practice and then moving on into, um, you know, more formal landscape work. Propagation became a huge mm-hmm. thing for me and still really is. Gardening, the kind of respite of it from actual professional practice mm-hmm. so it is both a part of the world that you know you survive with but also survive from in a kind of emotional and and bodily way mm-hmm. uh, so i think you know that uh, that sense of having having good teachers is is really something i'm um you know, kind of indebted to and and has been inspiring for me as a student and as, you know, I still am a student, but (laughs) yeah.
0: And so you, how long have you been a fellow and lecturer there at the School of Landscape Architecture at the University of Tennessee? Start with that.
1: I've been here in Knoxville in East Tennessee now for about nine months. And this is a, a fellow position. And it's it's basically a position that invites someone perhaps from kind of further away, me being from Canada, to kind of bring perhaps a, a kind of outsider's perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's um, that's a position that then allows you to also develop... Um, a set of research practices, and also what we call in design school, the design studio. So students have um, many different electives, which is a kind of normal thing for for master's students to have. But here, and in, in typical design schools, whether it's architecture or landscape architecture, they have... Um, a design studio where the majority of their time is spent. And, and that studio really evolves from something that in their first year or so is a core curriculum and that's very set and it's building up kind of base sets of knowledges and practices that are seen as important for the profession and so forth. But then as they move later into their, into their degree, we have what are called option studios and those option studios give students the opportunity to kind of bite into something a a little, a little more funky, a little more weird. We call it a a design brief. Mm -hmm. And that might not be the typical, Hey, let's go and design a park. Mm -hmm. It might be, Hey, let's think about what it might mean to design with fire. And so that's how this kind of studio came around. Um, From the school perspective, is thinking about how landscape architecture as a traditionally and historically um, delineative practice, one that is about sort of marking and setting up space and creating boundaries, to one that is more about um, histories of process design, thinking about how culture designs its way through the world by telling stories, by communicating stories, by working physically with members of the community and not necessarily having a kind of um quote-unquote plan set up and so i think the kind of goal of the studio is is to think about how we are moving into an increasing age of fire but one that is using um both kind of ancient and novel techniques by way of fire to think about how we might navigate with our communities increasing risk as we move into climate change
0: This is Cultivating Place, I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our second in a series, looking at interesting plant learning in our back to school season, we're in conversation with Chad Manley, a fellow and lecturer in the School of Landscape Architecture at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and Nora Jacobs and Carlos Velasco, two of the Masters of Landscape Architecture students in Chad's Spring 2023 Landscape Architecture Design studio entitled Dancing in the Dragon's Jaw. Reimagining how we as a society design for relationship with fire. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the rich intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Cultivating Place is also made possible through support from the Garden Conservancy, a not-for-profit organization whose mission is to preserve, share, and celebrate gardens and America's gardening traditions. The Garden Conservancy's Garden Futures Summit, being held at the New York Botanical Garden on September 29th, with garden tours throughout the city on September 30th, features keynote speaker Isabella Tree, the author of The Book of Wilding, discussing how spectacularly nature can bounce back if we only give her a chance. What comes is not just wildlife in superabundance, but also solutions to the other environmental crises we face Following the summit, Ms. Tree will give two other talks for the Conservancy, in Middleburg, Virginia, on October 2nd, and St. Louis, Missouri, on October 4th. For tickets and more information on all of these events, go to gardenconservancy.org forward slash education. Hey, it's Jennifer. Here was one of the sentences that Chad shares with us that really landed with me, especially in this back-to-school season. Having good teachers is something we are all indebted to, right? Can you think of your favorite teachers, whether or not they were in a classroom or not? In the aftermath of the Lahaina Fire on Maui, Maybe the universe is asking us to all go back to school, to learn better. And maybe all of our gardens and public land management are in fact experimental and invitational design studios. And if we're cognizant of this, just think how much more we can do for them, with them. We could learn from them we could support them more. Happy back-to-school season to you all, and many, many prayers and thoughts of support and regrowth for everyone on Maui. We're back now to our conversation with design studio instructor Chad Manley and two of his Masters of Landscape Architecture students from his spring 2023 course at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. The course was entitled Dancing in the Dragon's Jaw. As we come back, Carlos and Nora share more about the expansive experience of the studio's invitation to think outside of the textbook on how we design collectively for the future we want to generate.
3: When the studio was introduced and the presentation, that's usually held at the beginning when we mm-hmm. um, we have the option to overview the, the studios. Um, I. Didn't really have an expectation set for the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, what really interested me about the studio, as as it was being presented, is the fact that it was talking about fire in a in a in a new way that I have I had it was that was new to me. Um, growing up, I I didn't really see forest fires like like you said like it's not really something that's prevalent here <laughs> in Tennessee. Um, as much as it is on the West Coast. so th- I wanted to learn more about it and seeing the opportunity to do that through the lens of a studio curriculum felt like the best way to 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 just learn about fire in in like as an art form as as a chance to design with it um before I would further explore like a more scientific approach to it um. Or like a more research sense, yeah. So, yeah. so for me, it was it was an, an artful interest into how fire was being spoken about, yeah. Um, mostly because, like I said, I've never seen like a forest fire. I've 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 just never been present in that. Um, so yeah, yeah. Nora,
2: so I took this studio with very practical intentions in that I am moving to Colorado after I graduate um and I just thought oh well this is something that I need to know before moving out west and working as a designer and I think what Carla said really sums up quite nicely how it turned out for me and that I had kind of came in with this very engineering mindset approach where I was like oh this will teach me how to fix things but it really <laughs> did become, so artistic and really showed how fire is not something that we are exactly trying to tackle, but how it is an active participant within the natural world and that it goes beyond something to deal with, but something that's very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that while
0: it does sound a little bit anti-intuitive to say it's beneficial those of us who live in the fire prone west uh, would say that we absolutely know that it's beneficial right i mean this is fire is up there with the wheel in you know human development and how to uh how to make it happen and how to then direct it's happening and how to work around it's happening and how to stop it happening if it's going in the wrong direction like these are these are truths of all cultures across time and space. and the the benefits of it, I think, are often overlooked. And I think that is less and less so. But uh, you know, especially here, living in the fire prone West. But what I find so interesting um about the approach of what I gathered from from the studio visits and the the, you know, the descriptions you all gave when you were on uh, the land here. Uh, was the importance of just having all the different layers of what fire is and can be in relationship to whole landscapes or peoples. I found really proactive and really generative uh, from a design sense of young people coming up into a world that is trying to grapple with what has often been binary thinking of this is good, this is bad. And a much more layered and generative possibility for the way this is thought about. And if that is true, then the way it is designed with is also bound to be that much better. So, Chad, I'm going to come back to you and ask you when you were when you decided you wanted to, uh, lead this class did you develop the curriculum or was it one that was historic that you were taking on tell us about the the catalyst uh from that level
1: i i I think this this class in this studio is is really the kind of culmination of a number of different threads coming together to weave something larger and stronger and and i'll maybe just start with um you know the three that come to my mind at the moment, and you know one is that being a resident of um, the Pacific Northwest, the the past let's say you know six seven eight years have really um, you know they've had a had a marked impact on our on our memory and our consciousness in terms of the the way in which smoke has come in, the way in which heat has come in, the way in which we are very much dealing with disaster as as I talk about this right now mm-hmm. there's you know um kind of air quality warnings over the city of Vancouver <laughs> that I'm seeing yeah. it uh, pop up on my news ticker and so you know we're not really historically aware of that as as settlers in a way and, and I think the last six seven eight years have been a kind of wake-up call on that front and and so personally for me I just it's part of my reading and consciousness um you know whether that is a fire happening in in Vancouver, or it's a fire happening in Northern California. There's a connectivity to the place that um, you know is is built into um, the observation of or the way in which I see the world. Um, I mean, the second one, and and I think it's the most decisive moment in terms of how the curriculum started as an idea and that and that was as we were traveling through um the South last last semester on a different studio in a different class there came up news again that a community in Northern California had burned you know almost completely and that that was that of Lincoln Heights uh, historically black community in in weed California and the the kind of ancestors relatives, family members who populated this um, kind of historically segregated company town are coming from the South. They're coming from an era of, um, you know, persecution and slavery that here in the South, there are still lots and lots of questions about. And so I think as someone who's actually my name, um, my dad named me after, someone from the Civil War era and you know coming from the Appalachians I don't have let's say deep roots here, but I, I feel a kind of connection here there's there's a sense to which like we are still implicated in how these histories are being told and how they they might move forward and and I I supposed to you know be in the South and reading that news about an entire community sort of going up like that meant, maybe there's maybe there's something for us here as students as people who are learning about landscape and what that means to to design with these things and to sort of um you know move history forward in a in a better way how do we how do we actually think about um how do we think about those spaces and and so i i proposed it to the um the director of the program here, he was fully on board and that started generating a way of thinking about, okay, well, there are there, you know, very kind of um, historical ties within these communities that are affected by fire, but that doesn't, you know, start and stop with, with, uh, with um, weed in Lincoln Heights in California that, that it's a story that's told across the state and of, of course, across the West and the nation and so forth. And, that really led to thinking about, okay, you know, we're going to bring students to California to meet this community. What other communities might we meet and what other actors, what other cultures are we, you know, going to kind of have conversations with? And Mm -hmm. so that really started to kind of set up a loop, uh, a cycle, um, where we would travel from place to place to place, um, including to Shasta, Shasta County, but also to Humboldt County, um, to Tuolumne, to Mariposa, so on and so forth, to, to really understand the way in which fire is specific. It's specific in terms of its reach by way of humans, its reach by way of the time of year that that fires might happen, the way in which it might happen. I just saw yesterday on the news that there was lightning across Northern California and California, which Mm. is somewhat rare at this time of year, but like these kind of, um, these energies that are um, very, you know, there's a kind of reason why they come to be. And so how do we as designers think about um, the potential kind of power, but then also the responsibility of being in a place that um, both needs fire, but needs fire perhaps in certain and distinct ways.
0: Mhm. Mhm. And so you part of the part of the culmination of the course was this this field trip, this extensive field trip to spaces that had experienced fire and to learn about the different um consequences, outcomes, people's responses and and different cultural understandings of of the fire in these different spaces. How did you prepare the students for that? Like what had come before in the classroom and in the studio work, Chad? And then we'll move to Nora and Carlos about uh, the the experience of being on the ground, having learned in the classroom or in the studio certain things, but then actually being in these spaces with these real life experiences and how that might have even altered their perception and their takeaways even more.
1: Well, I think, I think both Nora and Carlos picked up on, you know, this, this kind of idea of, um, you know, how do we, how do we see fire in different ways? How do we see landscape in different ways? And so, um, I'll maybe just introduce the the title of the course and that's um dancing in the dragon's jaws and and that is thinking metaphorically about a creature we kind of all think we know, but there are many, many different dragons and there are many different ways in which cultures tell stories about dragons that don't necessarily all breathe dragon, don't necessarily all hoard riches in East Asia, in Korea, China, Japan. There are many different stories in Laura about the way in which a dragon is something that brings water, that is um, a kind of creature of the sky and of, of of storms and water. And so, how is how can we start to kind of turn things we think we know into something new that you know has our respect and has our curiosity? and and so the way in which we you know started to do that was to think about the way we would actually set foot in california and that might not just be as kind of extractive tourists who come in as students and gobble up all the information from really smart interesting conversations but that we might also give something back and so part of part of the actual curriculum in the studio started as a preparation of making gifts so they spent you know, at least um, four to five weeks before we traveled to California, thinking about how they could give a gift to fire, and if they were going to give a gift gift to fire, how could that somehow also be a gift to to plants, to animals, to the communities that rely on the adaptation or the ad- adaptive cycles of um, of fire and its kind of its its properties. So each one of them had a different site across California a different community. And they had to research, okay, what are these places? We're very much coming from away. Are there specific species that we need to pay attention to? Yes. So let's, let's dive into those and start to use our traditional design thinking and our training to work with material, to start combining Um you know, the form of things, but also a, a knowledge of of ecology and and of course fire in this case to open up the potential of a process of a gift that might say land in your backyard and start to create a, a process and a relationship to a, a piece of land that you would not otherwise have if that gift was not there. So it's almost and it's kind of a hard to to describe and I hope Nora and Carlos will get, get into their Actual designs, right? Um, but it was an open question about what what do we bring here, rather than you know what are we searching for? And right. and I think that sense of reciprocity, as Carlos um, alluded to earlier, was a really kind of um, formational part of of the collective thinking of the studio.
0: Nice, nice. All right. So now I would love to go back to to Nora and Carlos, and this time let's start with you, Nora. Tell us a little bit more about what you learned about Humboldt and then the the gift you designed for Humboldt. And then I'll have you and Carlos both share more about what it meant to actually then go visit the space.
2: So Carlos and I and Grace designed a festival attempting to change the narrative around fire and beginning to see it as something to celebrate. And something that we would be giving away back to the landscape. And in terms of my personal design, we split it up in three components. It all kind of came together. But my personal design was essentially a device that strategically layered different materials. And as this object broke down, it would start a fire. And the goal was that this was kind of a way of nature reclaiming its ability to start a fire. And each layer was designed to interact with different ecological processes. So on the outer layer, there was a kelp wrapper that as it was broken off, it would put nutrients back into the soil. And then the second layer was clay and bird seed that would need to be pecked at and broken down by bird beaks. And it essentially ended with a small amount of fire starter in the center that once that was released into the environment, That was the place where nature decided, okay, here's where we're going to start a fire. And so it was a theoretical project, you know, kind of saying, what if it wasn't humans deciding where prescribed burns were happening? What if it was this animal or this tree?
0: This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our second in a series looking at interesting educational offerings around plants in this back-to-school season, we're in conversation this week with Chad Manley, a fellow and lecturer in the School of Landscape Architecture at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and Nora Jacobs and Carlos Velasco, two of the Masters of Landscape Architecture students in Chad's Spring 2023 Landscape Architecture Design Studio entitled Dancing in the Dragon's Jaw, reimagining how we as a society design intelligently, specifically for relationship with fire. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Jennifer again. The final thought that I want to leave you with today after this conversation or in the midst of this conversation with Chad and Nora and Carlos is the inclusion in the design of the course that the students were asked to consider. What can we bring rather than what are we searching for and can take? Reciprocity is a term that I think is in most of our hearts and minds at least since the reading of Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass. But I ask you at the end of this summer season, in the midst of this conversation, to think about it one more time. What does reciprocity look like for you with your garden, on your land, in your place, in your community, on this planet? What can we bring rather than what are we searching for? Enjoy the inquiry. We're back now to our conversation with design studio instructor Chad Manley and two of his Masters of Landscape Architecture students from his spring 2023 design studio at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, entitled Dancing in the Dragon's Jaw, exploring how to design with and for fire-adapted regions. As a part of the preparation for the three-week field trip to fire-experienced regions of Northern California, the studio participants were put into small groups and assigned one of the places the class would visit to study more deeply and to design and develop a gift to offer to that place related to its fire history when they arrived, so that they were not just seeking knowledge to take away, but offering something of themselves in return. As we come back, Carlos is sharing more about his group with Nora and the offering they designed for their space in Humboldt County.
3: My, as my teammate Nora had mentioned, uh, we approached this this project as a team um, throughout most of most of the time our time as a studio and even our individual projects branch it off very very close together with this idea of a fire festival. So we really wanted to envision and, and tackle the, the, the presence of this like fire sprite within nature. Mm. And we wanted to represent how this fire sprite's responsibility of fire in nature was to basically argue for the involvement of non-human participants in the starting and management of these fires. So we began by kind of establishing non-human characters that would be in our region, such as like the wild boar and um, the mad honeybees, and like the black bear, and and as well as domesticated non-human characters such as the cow and and the pig, and so these the, the idea of this fire sprite guiding the creation of fire back to the hands of of nature of like not nature in terms of non-human involvement was what drove our our team project, which um, which was the idea of this fire festival which is where humans would take part into developing and shifting their perspectives and personification of fire to um a more idea of fire as a form of spectacle as a form of within their lives that doesn't necessarily have to be one that is is used for like to clear land for example or um, so the idea of the fire festival was was to expand throughout three different locations within Humboldt County. One would be the grasslands, one would be the forest, and the urban. Um, so my my teammate Nora, she, this uh, um, implemented the site of the, one side of the festival, which was the grasslands. Uh, my site was the presence of the fire festival as it arrives to the urban context, which. Um, I utilized a small town in Humboldt County um, called Arcata. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is where we began to develop our fire nurseries. Um, so the idea of the fire nursery is like our take on how would fire be reintroduced into our daily lives. So as this fire festival approach, the urban um, fire nursery, which is mine, uh, which is like, I guess, like my specific uh, site, mm-hmm. it was about celebration within the town square. So the idea of this fire festival, and and it it was a way to like embody fire in like a cultural way that would persuade the community to to celebrate and normalize the presence of fire in people's lives, mm-hmm. and um, this would be carried on with this um fire sprite nests, which is what we call them, and there it was basically these like spherical forms that. That it would inhabit these small n- uh, nests that would be made out of like combustible materials, such as like uh, folded paper and, and and such. And these would be the ones that would be present throughout all the festival.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so this specific spherical form, it was a, a geometric origami form, um, is what we carried as a representation of our gift when during our our California trip, and and we documented it. Uh, We carried it with us and we documented it exploring California with us. And, And so the idea was that this like fire sprite nest would experience all throughout Humboldt County and not just Humboldt County, but like the entire northern region of California that we traveled along. And it would it would become familiar with the land and then we would give it back to nature through the act of fire.
0: And I, I love all the layers as you've described them and the, the conceptual and kind of spiritual and ritualistic nature as, as well as the very pragmatic ones. Um, so when the two of you, you know, with this design studio as your, you know, sort of nexus arrived here in California and you traveled across the different sites and and you saw the different ways that fire was on the land or had impacted people both bad you know hard and um and you know some destructive some loss but also some regeneration and some clearing um how what were your i guess a takeaway sounds like a silly thing but what do you have specifics about how the the site visits enriched your already developing complex understanding
2: something that really stuck out to me was whenever we went and saw the redwood trees that this massive massive tree had been followed out of the base by fire and you could see the completely charred inside and up um, through the trunk and the way that it was still living and growing I mm. thought was just so fascinating and learning more about the relationship of how fire does nurture the trees out there and mm. other various species as well but I just I thought it was incredible
0: yeah yeah it's pretty it's, it's a um a spiritual moment when you meet one of these trees isn't it
2: yes it was unlike anything I'd ever seen before
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and what about you Carlos
3: yeah, so um, one of my one thing that surprised me the most is uh, we visited this small town. Um, I believe it was called Paradise, mm. uh, California. I'm um, yep. And one thing that really surprised me is when we were talking with um with this official that was in, in charge of like kind of planning for like fire resiliency or the reemerging community that had just um, initially suffered a a large fire that took down a lot of like. Uh, housing was that she was when we asked her about what were the plans for the residents that had moved temporarily out of the community for you know for, for jobs and, and and alternative housing while they rebuilt their um their homes that had just been burned um was that it she made it sound as if the community didn't really the community itself didn't burn down it was just the homes mm. and that uh, even though like everyone in the community that of, of paradise that of the housing was aware of the large amounts of fuel and the, and the large presence of combustible materials such as like trees and and, and they were aware of fire being a, a situation that could happen and so she had mentioned that a lot of them already planned on returning um as soon as the situation and and the land was cleared and and such. But um, I found that very interesting that the community itself, the only thing that a fire affected it was, was like a temporary relocation Mm -hmm. because from my understanding, most of them were okay to be in the same, to live in the same space as a tree, as, as fire, as, as nature. Like they understood that it could happen. And because it could happen, if it did happen, it would be okay. And they would return just, just like nature reemerges, they would rebuild their their community. And I found that very, very interesting um, in their attitude towards, towards situations like that.
0: Chad, when you, Think about your greatest hopes for a design studio like this one that you um, you developed, and then manifested with this really remarkable group of students whom I met. What would you say um, your greatest hopes were, and 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 did you see that come to fruition as you traveled across these fire-prone regions, and you you saw them perhaps developing a design philosophy or uh, structure that was enriched by this experience.
1: I think it's really interesting what both Nora and Carlos said at the beginning of the conversation, and that is, you know, they came into the studio thinking, either having no intentions (laughs) and expectations or thinking about things in a kind of, technical, perhaps solutionist way. here's how we' are going to fix the problem. And what I'm hearing from them today and so this is exciting to me um, is that mm-hmm. their understanding and our understanding, I think it's a collective journey, yes, is is much more nuanced and complicated. and that's I mean, I think that's where the, the kind of term art or design and or spirituality, the kind of thickening of of our understanding of these places, which is also the recognition that we don't understand them and that we can't account for voices which we've not yet heard or not yet been privy to, and that we won't ever be privy to. I think those, those kind of realizations um, are really important. And for myself, just knowing that there's... Um, you know as a designer and I, I suppose as a teacher too but knowing where our limits are and what what kind of power we may have and what responsibility we certainly do have and sometimes that sometimes that's quite limited and i th- i think you know the the kind of nuance about how how fire and design are, are connected is really about that kind of relationship between power and responsibility the way in which we are setting down active intentions on the land? Do we have money? Do we have the coordination? Do we have the timing right? Is there the political will? Do we have the cooperation involved? Like so many of these things are, are really kind of like outside, let's say traditional design language, but they're as important or more important. And I think that's, that's really nice to know that we've had these sets of conversations and frankly, just to see their eyes light up in front of a redwood, a incredible yeah. speaker. Um, the story of, let's say, Will Harling speaking about how his son was moving along a tributary of the Klamath and c- catching his first salmon. You know these these kind of amazing moments where you just um, you can't you can't obviously replicate that in inside of a classroom on a campus. It's it's about um, a quality of embedment into a place. And so I think I'm just grateful to have shared in that experience along with them.
0: Carlos and Nora, um, if you had, and and maybe Nora, you've already done this for us, but if there was one moment along this journey of this class and what it has brought into your, your, mind and hearts going forward in landscape architecture. Uh what what might that moment be? And and Nora, maybe you shared that with us in meeting that that tree that had survived fire.
3: So one moment that I will remember is um I believe Chad had mentioned the person that we went and received a tour from as they spoke about BDAs and the salmon population being a huge driver. Or, um and and significant for the existing culture of, of the native people in the area and and the efforts that were being done was and he the way he explained it it, it seemed very very complex but at the same time what I found impressive and then I always remember is is that even though it was it was a lot of negotiation a lot of some might say great areas of of discussion between different organizations and and and, and government agencies even um is that they really were aiming for the same thing they collectively came together to change to to implement some bdas
0: and just for folks who might not know, a BDA stands for Beaver Dam Analog human made small organic dams placed into waterways to help restore those riparian corridors, slow the flow of water, encourage habitat, and encourage the return of beavers to these spaces to improve the health of the habitat for all lives.
3: And do other landscape changes that would. Drastically change the landscape. Like everyone was on board with the idea of the changing landscape to to further provide habitat for for these salmon populations that were suffering, and and to me that's something that really I really care when it comes to landscape architecture as a, as a design form, not just as like a you know like ornamental site plan type of thing, um, like but like yeah. as an ideology is that collaboration for a common goal is just as important, even when it, the situation is very complex and the scale is you know, large, like the the scale that they were working in is like mountains and like really, really large scale. And and they were still doing it because they believed in it and they saw the importance in it. And to me, that's something that I know will will impact me in the sense that I will, I will look forward to finding as I'm designing to to find something that I care about, something that I know is significant and and work towards that. I guess that's that's one thing that really really impacted the way I'm gonna continue looking at things. Thank you. Anything you
0: wanted to add, Nora?
2: Yes. So our first day in California, whenever we visited Yosemite we met with one of the fire managers at the park and he told us a story about a practice of park rangers i believe it was in the early 1900s where they would build a large bonfire on top of a cliff on a mountain and then they would essentially just push the fire off they would push off the bonfire and there would be this fire waterfall and i heard that story and i thought it was really kind of fun and outrageous and Interesting. And as we continued along our journey, this story reappeared. And I learned that it was a practice of, I believe, the Karuk people. um, Chad, correct me if I'm wrong. But that this was also a practice of the Indigenous people for a much longer time. And I thought that it was really beautiful. And it became, as you can probably see, a large influence in my own design work. And I think. It really set a precedent of designing for a landscape with the unknown in mind and that design can be a question and nature is just a response to that um, and that we don't always have to know exactly how it's going to go
0: thank you all very much for being guests on the program today
2: this was wonderful thank you so much for having
3: us jennifer thank you so much for having us
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Jennifer. And I actually just really appreciate hearing the students feedback in their own words about the experience. So that's, that's a kind of interesting twist for me. But thank you.
0: Chad Manley is a fellow and lecturer in the School of Landscape Architecture at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Nora Jacobs and Carlos Velasco were both Masters of Landscape Architecture students in Chad's Spring 2023 Landscape Architecture Design Studio entitled Dancing in the Dragon's Jaw, an experimental and invitational course of study looking at how we as a society can intelligently and compassionately design for spaces adapted and prone to fire. On a rainy day in March of this year, the studio class visited with me and my partner plantsman John Whittlesey on his land just south and east of Paradise, California, which burnt in the campfire of 2018. While the Landscape Architecture students were learning about land, fire, and designing from a much wider perspective than we often contain our learning to, I also was learning so much more about the very nature of plant and land education by being in conversation with this group. Speaking of education and field trips, I'll be spending Wednesday, September 6th, in conversation with the horticultural and ecological programs at the University of Cincinnati, including a free lecture by me, open to the public, for the University of Cincinnati's College of Design, Architecture, Art and Planning at 4.30 p.m. Eastern that day. Then on Thursday, September 7th, I will be giving an evening lecture at the Civic Garden Center of Greater Cincinnati in advance of their annual fall native plant festival and sale happening on Saturday the 9th. The Thursday lecture is sold out, but media partner WVXU in Cincinnati still has 20 tickets to give away. Check out WVXU's social media streams for more information on these. Information on registering for the Wednesday talk at the University of Cincinnati can be found in this week's episode show notes or at cultivatingplace.com forward slash events. Join us again next week when we welcome September, the end of summer, and two weeks of virtually visiting New York City in advance of the Garden Conservancy's Garden Futures Summit at the New York Botanical Garden on September 29th and 30th. I thought that in preparation, we would be in conversation with some New York-based plant and garden people. This next week, we're in conversation with artist and author Nock Min No, whom we have heard from before, and whose newest title, Green New York, profiles and celebrates all things green space in the Big Apple's five boroughs. That's next week, right here. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of Cap Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you, through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation and the Garden Conservancy. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and communications coordination by Sheila Stern. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Mechupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.